Welcome to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Today we're going to talk about doctor-patient communication with pediatrician Dr. Maritza Alvarado. Um, she has just completed her work on a master's in public health from the joint program between Upstate and Syracuse University, the CNY-MPH uh, program. She's also got a certificate in advanced studies in health services management and policy from SU. Welcome, Dr. Alvarado. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So your paper, in your, in your research for your um, master's program, you um, looked into health communication in mass media. So tell me how you came up with that topic. How did you get interested in that? Well, I was on a local television show, and uh, the premise of the television show that we would get patients to tell their stories. It was as far away from a medical show as you could be. Um, we literally just asked them, you know, how did you come about your diagnosis? Tell us how you felt. How are you living with this diagnosis? So it was a, a different take on, on what you would consider a, a medical show. And I liked the premise so much that I thought, well, you know, why not continue and, and see, you know, does this change patients' behaviors or the people who are watching the show? You know, does it change their attitudes, their knowledge, their behaviors, having heard how people can overcome, you know, the obstacles associated with their illness. So you had a hypothesis that people who watch a particular program gain the health knowledge, and because of that, they'll change their attitudes or behaviors based on learning that from the program or whatever. That was the hypothesis. Um, we had a very small study, a very small survey. Um, so I was not able to really find out if the television show itself had actually changed knowledge, attitudes, or behaviors. But then I did some more research and found that um, mass media can be an effective tool uh, to change patients' behaviors, mostly. All right, so patients may get their information through medical television series like ER or through reality programs or a medical talk show, Dr. Oz, that type of thing, or through news programs. Um, are any of them in your research, did you find that any of those are trustworthy and is one more trustworthy than, the, than another? I think you have to be really careful with television um, because there's the, the truly medical show which just goes right over people's heads, especially if it's got a lot of detail to it. And then there's what I call the reality TV where it's um, kind of more entertainment-like. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be careful like where you're getting your information. Um, if you have, say, a public service announcement, that, I think, would be a little bit more effective because you're targeting a particular audience and a particular either disease or behavior that you're looking to change. So I think you really have to look at, at your sources and then you know do some research to find out what would be the most appropriate thing for you. Yeah, so the public service announcements come from health entities or They health come from health government entities, or... government. Um, those would be, I would say, the most consistent in their message and the ones that you could trust the most. Okay, all right. Well, your paper quotes Sir William Osler. Um, I pulled this quote out from it. He says, it is much more important to know what sort of patient has the disease than what sort of disease the patient has. So can you tell me what he means by that and why you included it? I thought it was very telling that in today's day and age, we're kind of losing the storytelling of medicine, getting to really, really know the patient, and you know, I guess we, you know, we can get into more detail on that a little bit later. But um, you really have to know who you're talking to, what their background is, their ethnicity, their educational level, because a lot of that makes a difference in how you're going to present information to them, and whether or not they're going to follow that information. 
I mean, I take my mom as an example. Um, you know, if you call her by her first name and she doesn't know you, especially in a patient-doctor relationship, she's going to be all of a sudden, the wall's going to come up, and it's like, you know, I, I don't know you that well. Let's develop a relationship first. Um, so I, I think a lot of people are that way. They, they want to be, you know, you don't have to be friends with your patient. I mean, you could be. Um, but the thing is, they, they want to develop a relationship so that they know that uh, they can trust you. And that, I think, is, is the key thing there, is to get to know the person that you're going to be taking care of. So how do you do that as a physician when you come in and you've got a new patient? And, I mean, a physician has a first impression of, of someone just like, like anyone might have. How do you get away from that first impression, which may or may not be accurate, and learn who they are? You start by asking a series of questions, depending on, you know, why they're there. And then kind of, you know, usually if it's your new visit and it's a new patient to you, you hopefully will get a, a good chunk of time to be able to have a nice conversation with them to get some details about their life and then go into why they're there. So that's maybe why the first visit t tends to be longer. It tends to be longer because that's the time where you should be asking those types of questions to get to really know the patient. Um, yes, you may have to make an acute diagnosis at that time, um, and but you can gather that information while you're talking to the patient. Their educational level um, is that just so that you know what you how you can speak to them, or if they have a if they have a medical background, maybe you don't have to. If they have a medical background, then it makes it much easier to to have a conversation. But I can't. Um, talk about, like say, for example, seizures, and use all these huge medical words with someone who probably has like a high school education. Right. It's not going to make any sense to them. Um, I have to bring my language down to a literacy level that they can understand. And the other reason for um, knowing what their educational level is, if you're going to give a patient a handout, you have to make sure that it's tailored to what they can read mm -hmm. and understand. Um, so, you know, it, it's very important to, to know their educational level, plus their ethnic background. Uh, some people are reluctant to talk about certain things, so you have to figure a way to um, get around that um, reluctance to talk about it. Um, so it, it's a lot that goes into that first, that first visit. Interesting. Um, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air, and we're talking with Dr. Maritza Alvarado about health communications. So in your own practice um, with pediatrics, um, how important would you say communication is between doctor and patient who may range in age from infancy to... <laughs> to 18 uh, or 21, yeah. depending, <laughs> on, depending on your practice. Um, a lot of it with the younger kids is visual. You look at them and you try to figure out, you know, is this a child who's in pain? Is this a child who's happy and content? I think the, the communication comes in as the kids are older and a little bit able to verbalize what's going on. I would think with adolescents, despite their reluctance to talk, that might be the best communication that you're going to get. It may take you a while to, to pull it out to pull it out of them. <laughs> but I think that that's the best communication you'll get. But a lot of it is is visual in pediatrics and, and in, in most you know, capabilities of medicine, you have to be able to see the nuances, people's faces, what they're telling you, how they're sitting. It, it's a whole complex uh, relationship. 
And just like um, a parent has to learn how their baby's communicating mm-hmm. long before the baby can speak, you, exactly. I mean, you have to kind of you have to pick that. up on those little things. But then you also um, have a parent to communicate with mm-hmm. as well, right? And sometimes, depending on the age, maybe at the same time. It's it's really interesting because you know I had when I was in practice I had you know parents who were teenagers, so my communication with a teenager was going to be way different than my communication with a college educated adult. So you really have to you know look and see and try to visualize like what is it that this person needs from me, um, and how can I make them understand what needs to be done for their child. So again, knowing their background, their mm-hmm. educational level, their ethnicity and, and uh, culture and, and all of that. Um, I've heard other physicians talk about, and when you talk about like the importance of listening to a patient, they talk about it like storytelling, mm-hmm. like the patient has a story to tell. And if you listen to them, you know, that that will help you take care of them. In this age of electronic medical records, um, is that changing? Is the dynamic different? It's It's interesting. I've heard from people on both sides of the spectrum on that. Uh, Some people say, wow, it's great. You know, you've got a checklist. You can go down the checklist. But I think that that's a little impersonal. Um, It's great for data gathering. I mean, if you have a lot of data, then you can analyze that data, data, look at trends. Um, But I think when it comes to the relationship, I think it really puts a wall up, um, literally and figuratively. Um, Most offices nowadays are not configured for the EMRs, unless you're setting up a new office, that so makes it very difficult. One of my physicians actually had to balance her laptop on her lap so that she could sit and talk with me. Um, other offices, um, you're literally talking to the side of the physician or the nurse if they're taking the history um, because they're they're literally at the counter with their face in the computer. In, inputting into the computer. Inputting the data. So, I, you know... Yeah. I feel it's a little impersonal. Well, isn't it hard as a physician to go back to those records because you you may have five different patients who all have, I don't know, diabetes and they have the same kinds of things, but they're very different people. So how do you even learn to tell them apart from that? You know, I don't have experience with EMRs, um, but from what I've understood, uh, people will make notes and then go back. So they're still relying on paper notes to try to figure out the differences and the nuances. So uh, adhering to the EMR stuff, the mm-hmm. electronic medical records, but also doing sort of their own thing. With doing sort of their own thing and, and just trying to figure out how to piece all that information together to be sure that you're still dealing with the person who's sitting in front of you. Well, so medicine has electronic medical records and the rest of the world is exploding in social media with emails and texting and Facebook messaging and Snapchatting and all of these other ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. Are there doctors um, that you found or know of who are comfortable communicating with their patients in that environment? Um, I believe that there are. Um, I'm not sure like how much you can communicate because you have to worry about the privacy issues. Yes. Um, but certainly, you know, if you want to post something on Facebook, so say, for example, you're a plastic surgeon and you have a Facebook page and you get your patient's permission to post their pre and post uh, surgery pictures, then that would be a way of communicating, you know, this is the type of work that I do. Uh, certainly, I've communicated with physicians via email. But right. once again, you know, you have to be really careful um, what you put out there. 
Um, you don't want it, you know, if somebody's account gets hacked, you don't have that security. Although what a lot of physicians are now doing as part of their medical records is they have a secure site where you can go and you can take a look at your medical records and, you know, see what transpired, mm -hmm. you know, during whatever visit that was. Neat. Okay. Well, do you have any advice for doctors or for patients on how to improve communications with one or the other? I think, you know, the thing is develop that relationship is the, is the most important part. You have to have that relationship and that trust. And once you have that, then I think the rest falls into place. But without that trust um, and getting to know that person, it's going to be very difficult for you to gauge whether that person is following your instructions, directions, taking their medications appropriately. So that gets kind of to the heart of a, of a, of a relationship. If you don't feel like you can really trust that person, maybe that person's not the right doctor for you. And I've always said that to patients. I mean, personally, I have, you know, told patients, you know, I, I just don't think I'm going to be able to help you because there was, there were expectations that as far as I felt were really unrealistic. And it's like, okay, we're already not Seeing, we're not clicking. I, we're, we're not, not clicking. We're not seeing eye to eye. Um, so I, I have told a number of patients, I think, you know, maybe you can try so-and-so. You know, within my practice, it's like I think that you'll click better with them than, than with me. And, you know, I don't take it personally. It, it's just, you know, you don't get along with everybody you right. meet. Right, and That's, people are different personalities and different styles of exactly. understanding. Exactly. Well, interesting. It's a good topic. Thank you so much for coming here to discuss it. Um, this, again, has been Dr. Maritza Alvarado speaking about health communications. I'm Amber Smith, and you've been listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.